0: Let us hear the love that you have for us through him. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
1: What if we could love the way Jesus did? Passionately, faithfully, powerfully. What if the way we love could make a difference in the world around us? What if that love looked at everyone the way God does? A love which doesn't see the past, but is consumed by a desire to see people come to know Jesus. A love which is patient and kind, not envious or prideful. A love which puts others before ourselves, chooses peace over anger. Love which protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. Do we love like this? Do we love like Jesus? Maybe it's time to ask a simple question How can we love better?
2: Week two of our series, How Can We Love Better? And it's a question, how can we love better? We started it last week. We've actually been kind of building on this for several weeks now. And it's kind of simple, like Jesus. If we love like Jesus, if we go to Jesus' teaching and we try to be more like Jesus, then we are going to love better. That's my message this week. Y'all get to go to lunch early. I'll see you. No, I'm kidding. I'm going to dive in a little bit more than that. But kind of our bedrock scripture, if you will. We saw it last week. It's uh, kind of the foundation of how do we love better. And and Jesus basically commanded us to do it. John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So it's kind of, Jesus ups the ante. He doesn't just want us to love one another. He wants us to love one another as he has loved us. I think that should be the first slide there, Dylan. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love One another. It's not just loving one another. We're going to actually unpack that a little bit. I mean, most people love somebody. Most people love something. Jesus left this final command for his disciples, and he said it was a new command, but it really was his final command before he showed crazy love. As he went to that cross, he upped that ante by saying, as I have loved you. So, if you were not here in the last week, kind of a quick little uh, recap, if you will, what does loving like Jesus look like? It's so different than anybody had ever seen. The Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be, I'm sorry, did not come to be served, but to serve. If you remember, if you were here, we kind of illustrated that, that Jesus took off his robe, got down on his knee, and he washed the feet of his disciples. Kings don't do that. Priests don't do that. Ordinary people back in that day didn't do that unless they were a servant. Everything that Jesus did was an intentional act to teach us how to love. That's what the whole gospel is. That's the whole reason why we exist as a church is because of love. And what we're supposed to do is love one another like Jesus loved. So today we're going to hear a parable from Jesus. And Jesus told a lot of parables, most of them are believed to not be actual stories. They're made-up stories of Jesus. It's kind of a a word picture, if you will. He was a master at it. He would describe something, and it was set in their time. So most of the things that he described would have been something about a farmer, maybe growing grapes, maybe how he sowed the seed, maybe how they tended to the sheep, and in this case, how they interacted with people. He was given an example of what we're getting ready to see of something that no doubt had happened. And at the start of this passage, we're getting ready to read, the Pharisees are trying to trip Jesus up again. That, at this point in his ministry, that was their main job. They were trying to trip Jesus up. They didn't like what Jesus was preaching Jesus was preaching that we're to love everybody. What we're getting ready to read here is after the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus goes through all these things of how you're blessed and what we're supposed to do, it was rocking their world. They were the establishment. They were the upper crust. They had everything, and it all worked for them. They didn't want Jesus preaching that, hey, we're supposed to get down on the level of ordinary people. They didn't like that they were practicing religion and i've got a slide here of what religion is relating to or manifesting faithful devotion and acknowledge ultimate reality or deity this comes from marion webster's dictionary of what is religion people do a lot of religion and you notice it didn't say god deity is what it's talking about what do we worship What do you worship? What do you put your most time into? What is the most center thought of your life? Is it making sure that Jesus is in the center of everything we do, whether it's our job, whether it's going to school, or is it something else? Is our focus on something else? They had turned their religion into a business They had turned their religion into it being about them. They were checking boxes. They were coming to church, going to their synagogue, making sure the people were bringing their sacrifices. All they were doing was checking boxes. Now, not all of them. There were a lot of good people. We wouldn't have the Jewish church today. But a lot of the leaders, the Pharisees, the high priests, they were checking boxes and they were doing it for themselves. So let's unpack Luke's gospel today that we're going to be reading out of. And I'm reading out of Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, Jesus replied, how do you read it? Now the law for them is the law of Moses. It's the same Old Testament that we have right here. That was their scriptures. That's what they were reading out of. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, at this point, his posse that was with him, and they were like, hey, I'm going to trip Jesus up with this. All right, come on, let's go. And so they're going to try to trip Jesus up, and all of his buddies that's dressed up in their regalia, and they're looking tough, and they're surrounded, and there's a crowd behind Jesus. They're all nodding like, Yeah. That's exactly right. Because what he just quoted was Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. He was quoting what we call the Old Testament. It's what they then called the law. Going to verse 28. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. He wanted, again... His whole point was to challenge Jesus. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, Jesus was hanging out with a lot of people they didn't consider their neighbor. He was hanging out with people that didn't look like they looked. He was hanging out with people that didn't go in the same circles that they went in. He was hanging out with Gentiles. And a Gentile is anybody that wasn't a Jew. He was hanging out with tax collectors. What? So they wanted to trip him up. Well, who? you hang out with all of these sinners. Who is our neighbor? Now, the reason they asked this question, I've got a slide for Leviticus 19.18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. For them... Your people was just their inner circle. It's kind of like their local family, if you will. You know that there's, I've already seen it. We've got little pockets that do things in life in the Greenwood Hills Church. Your people can sometimes mean those other people. So they're calling him out like, who is your people, Jesus? Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said... A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. You know, there used to be people along this road, and they called them, they're they believed to be the first organized gang called the Thuggy Group. It's where we get the term thug. All the way back in this time, they would hang out on a trade road and wait to rob people. So this is something that surely happened back in this day. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now let's take out that I've been a firefighter my whole life. Me as your pastor... If there was somebody over here across the street and they were laying there and had been beat within inches of their life and were bleeding. And I went, I'm not going over there. I don't want to help that person. Y'all would have, I would hope y'all would have a revolt. This was a priest. He deliberately, it says he went on the other side of the road. It's not that he walked and saw him over there. He switched lanes. A priest. A priest. Didn't even want to walk by him. So to a Levite. Now a Levite was, uh, if you remember talking about the group that carried the Ark of the Covenant. They were kind of an upper crust of, of the religious people of that day. They were chosen to be in God's inner circle. So to a Levite when he came to the place and saw him and passed by on the other side. We, we don't have a good comparison of this, but let's just say they didn't even take out their cell phones and dial 911. It had been like me and Tanya sitting out here watching somebody being beat into a pulp, and we didn't even call for help. We walked the other way. That's what Jesus was saying would happen. But a Samaritan as he traveled came to where the man was and when he saw him he took pity on him now i want to stop right there for a second again i mean it's we don't have a good comparison in our day to you know what it meant to those people who a samaritan was and i was trying to think of a good analogy if you're a duke fan a carolina fan just walked up to help this guy okay (laughs) or if you like auburn Okay, uh, Who is Alabama just walked up to help this guy? Whatever it is, if you're a Michigan fan, then Ohio State guy just walked up to help this guy. You name it. And if you're from um, I don't know, if you're from Yakin County, a Davison County boy just walked over and helped help this guy. Whatever it is, you put the contrast in, there would have been a collective guess. They did not associate with Samaritans at all. They were thought of, and pardon my language, they were half breed. They were Jewish. They traced their roots back to Abraham, but they didn't believe they had the same rights as they had. And they didn't even go through their towns if they didn't have to. They were believed that if they touched a Samaritan, they were unclean. So I want to stress that that when Jesus said this, sometimes we just read over these things and we don't realize the implication of what Jesus is saying. There would have been a collective gasp with this group. A Samaritan? Did he say it? he said Samaritan? Oh my gosh. So if you're a diehard Carolina fan, he just said a Duke man, whatever. Put it in place. Okay. He went to him, bandaged his wound, pouring oil and wine. Oil and wine, very expensive. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and the denarii is basically a day's wage. Again, super expensive what the Samaritan is doing for this man, and gave it to the innkeeper. Looking after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus was such an awesome communicator. There was never a time that they didn't try to trip up Jesus, that he didn't turn it back on them. Most of the time, he made them answer for themselves, and he leaves them with a question. So which one of these three? The priest? That's supposed to be looking after people. The Levite? The Levite? Neither one of them took out their cell phone and called 911. Neither did the Samaritan. He actually helped. He invested in this person. Oil and wine was expensive, and he gave the people two days' wages and said, I'll be back and pay even more. When this Pharisee, this expert in the law, replied, he couldn't even bring himself to say, the Samaritan. He said, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him this would have made them so mad. That's what's so cool about it. When you unpack it and realize what Jesus was saying back, they would have been furious walking off. Jesus said, go and do likewise. This is the word of God. Let me pray. Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your illustrations. Thank you for giving us pictures that we are to love no matter who it is that you put in front of us. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter where they came from. You expect us to love first. We thank you for the gift of your word. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, go and do likewise. I mean, it, again, it, it's hard to make that comparison when we talk about it today. In their rules, not God's rules, there's a whole lot of rules that they made that was man-made rules. They weren't even supposed to touch a Samaritan. You're not going to find that anywhere in their law. But they had made it their law. They had made it that they were not going to associate with other people. They were trying to out with Jesus. The whole thing was, who is our neighbor? Jesus, you've come on the scene. You claim to be a rabbi. Okay, we're acknowledging you're a prophet. You, you do some amazing things. You do some miracles that we've never even seen or heard of before. But this whole thing of sitting with the lesser than less, and meeting with tax collectors. One of your followers is a tax collector. They were trying to do everything they could because if his ministry took hold, which obviously it did, amen, then that meant their whole system was tore down. We today are going to have to like people that we might not normally like. We today are supposed to love people first, and if that took hold, that was going to change their whole hierarchy. What do you mean by neighbor Jesus? And, and they thought they were going to trip him up. They thought it was so concrete that when he gave his answer, they're like, aha, see, we told you this guy was crazy. He's not supposed to be sitting with tax collectors, he's not supposed to be sitting with the lesser of the less. Rumor is he sat with a uh, Samaritan woman, nonetheless. All these stories were going around. You see, that's the cool thing, that as these stories are going around, some people are going, wow, he might actually sit with me. He makes me feel important. He's telling me I got value. And then you got the Pharisees going, oh, my gosh, he's telling everybody they're important. What is he doing It's a foreign concept to us now, or is it? The next slide, if you you love those, this is Jesus talking, and this is right after Luke's version of the Sermon of the Mount, and he's basically setting this in. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Basically, if you love your own people... What good is that? Even sinners do that. Even evil people do that. They take care of their own. Jesus is saying we should love everybody. If you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. You see, the Pharisees had kind of a misconception that they were above it. They were above reproach. They were not sinners. I think we're all pretty clear that we're all sinners in here. They thought they were better. They thought they were even better than the law. They had turned it into a business. And they kept saying, how are you associating with sinners? You know, we all find ourselves at different points with with crossroads of what the right thing to do. You know, we have to navigate this world. It's a crazy world. And it is biblical. It's, it's becoming more evil. That's why what we do is, is so much more important. I'm terrified of my family picking up hitchhikers. But if we kind of read this story, is that what we're supposed to do? My wife came home one day and she goes, don't get mad at me. But I passed by this lady and I had to turn around and go back. I felt so sorry for her and I took her and I don't even remember the whole story. And I wonder where my daughter gets it from. She was loving on somebody that she had no clue who they were. Now, the public safety in me, my public safety red flags that spent a big part of my life on some pretty rough streets. I'm like, you did what? Honey, I'm glad you loved on that person. But you got to be careful. Did you pull your gun out first? She don't even carry a gun, okay? She don't even carry a gun. I don't even know why I said that. But we have to be careful, okay? We're in 2022. But that doesn't mean, when I say we all are in different things, maybe we need to support more. Maybe we need to pray more. Wherever it is, we can all love better. Being intentional. you know, we live in a different time than the 1950s. And right now, this time that we live in, I, I, I think you know there's a lot of end-of-time prophecy going on. Bottom line, we don't know. Even Jesus said that he doesn't know, so don't worry about it. It might be in 10 minutes when that trumpet's going to sound. It might be in 10,000 years. We don't know. If Jesus don't know, there's no reason in me worrying about when it is. But I do think in the devil's time and his mind, time's getting shorter. That's why he's ramping up. That's why he wants to divide us. That's why there's so much deception out there. The Apostle Paul wanted to tell us a little about this. 2 Corinthians 4.4, Satan, who is the God of this world, it's a pretty troubling statement just right there, Satan does have dominion over this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. I think the devil has pulled the wool over some of us that are believers too at times. And I'm not going to bring politics into this. But I can tell you that I'm guilty of it. I, I get sucked into society. I used to watch way too much news. I would sit there and, man, I'd, I'd get home. I was even taping a particular show on Fox News because I, I, I'd probably going to miss it, Working the schedule I were. I wanted to watch and see what they had to say tonight about what's going on in the world. There's nothing wrong with keeping up with what's going on in the world. But if you watch any news channel, I don't care which side of the aisle you're on, it's nothing but decisive. It's nothing but dividing us. It's kind of like a Republican or a Democrat. Now, some of y'all, just because I said those two words, something flared up in you. Some of y'all, hopefully, are like me, are going, you know, eh. Do you know that there was a time in this country where Democrats and Republicans used to be on the same team. They may not have agreed how they were getting from point A to point B, but point B was to make this country better. They both believed genuinely that the other side of the aisle was trying to make the country better, even if they didn't agree how they got there. I think what we're seeing in this country right now is nothing short of the work of the devil. That's his master plan to divide us. He wants to get us distracted, wants to get us focused on something other than Jesus and loving Jesus. Now, when I said Democrat and Republican, some of y'all are sitting there going, well, if a Democrat was over there, I'm not going to help him. I might call 911. Or some of you might have said if a Republican's over there, well, I, I might call 911 for that Republican. That's how deep-rooted people have got. Are we crazy? we got to let this stuff go. We have to love First, we have to stop making division, separation, our first go-to. You know, I got a I shared with you out of Luke 6.32, the verse right before that. Luke 6.31, do to others as you would have them do to you. the golden rule a couple of weeks ago i talked about people who may not know that jesus is their savior maybe you're kicking the tires on this whole jesus thing maybe you've left the church because you were hurt because of church but i think it's so cool that this society out there that the devil plays in and tries to divide us in and tries to get us off Everything we've been talking about is everyday sayings. So if you don't know Jesus, I encourage you to at least get there. The golden rule, the good Samaritan, that was a good Samaritan. The thing is, how would one of those Pharisees want to be treated if they were the one laying over there in that ditch? They would hope somebody would come along and help them. You know, the bottom line, Jesus has changed the world. Changes the way we keep our calendar. He changes these little sands that we have in life. And if somebody has changed the world that much and we haven't even got to that part yet, died and on the third day rose from the dead, I think we might want to pay attention to what he's teaching us. And really it all comes back to love. Jesus didn't make it hard. He didn't want it to be hard. He wanted it to be simple. And we find even in our own families, it's hard to love. Jesus meets each and every one of us where we are at. He loves each and every one of us even before we knew him. And all we got to do is love. You ever think about how simple that is? People are timid or they're shy about putting their faith in Jesus. Well, you know, them church people, they're kind of hypocritical they they, they kind of hold a really high standard and and I got to give up my old ways. I if the older I've gotten, the more frustrated I've got about sometimes you hear people tell their testimony, boy, when I was younger, I used to have the best time and man, I run around and boy, we used to party and we had a good time. But then I gave my life to Jesus. I'm living better now. I don't think they fully grasp it. I'm telling you, if you go all in for Jesus, you put your faith in Jesus, it's going to be something in you that you've never experienced before. And you know some of these people, and some of you, I don't know you well enough yet. This is only our first month together. Can you believe it? Some of you know people in this church that are like, it doesn't matter what rolls out, they're always so peaceful about it. That is the peace of Jesus and the grace of Jesus that is working in them. Their dog got run over, their uncle died, and they're like, man, I just see Jesus all over this. And sometimes we go, how is that possible? It's possible because everything they do, they put Jesus first. Jesus will change your life. And we get to spend eternity with him. I don't know who's listening. I don't know where you're at in this. Kind of one of the cool things about coming to a new church like this, I don't know who's been baptized, who hadn't been baptized. I don't know who put their faith in Jesus, who hadn't. I hope all of you have. But if you haven't, or if somebody's listening out here and they haven't, John Wesley calls that prevenient grace. That's that little nudge. That's that little pull that goes before us that man, it's just I hear him. And then guess what society has done to us? That was what was so powerful about my daughter and I. If you weren't here last week, I showed some pictures of everybody that got baptized. Seven of them were all significantly older than me. Why did it take them so long? Probably because society said they were supposed to have already been baptized. They might have been embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed to come to Jesus because it will change your life. So, I mentioned a baptism class. We ain't even got that set up yet. Guess what? If anybody wants to be baptized, we'll start filling that thing up back there right now. One of the things that that pastor said when he baptized people, he said it was, he treats it like a marriage ceremony. Being baptized is not what saves you. There's no requirement to be baptized to be saved. If we are saved and we have the opportunity, we're supposed to be baptized. But just like that thief hanging on the pole, he didn't say, hey, hold on, stop. Stop the movie track. Let's take this criminal down. Let's get him down. We need to baptize him for he's in glory with me in heaven. No. But it's a marriage when you are baptized. You're saying, hey, I want everybody to know that I put my faith in Jesus. Somewhere along the way. Society tried to tell us that being a Jesus follower isn't cool. Being a Jesus follower is one of the coolest things you're ever going to do in your life. I will contend that it's the coolest. It's even better than being a Wake Forest fan. Just want you to know that. Let me pray for us. Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of being able to come into this church and hear your word and to be demonstrated stories of how we are to treat people. We're to love first. Then we'll figure out all the rest of it later. God, I know that if we could one person at a time, get this set in motion, love first and then figure out the rest later we will start seeing your kingdom work done here on earth. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, who died on that cross for us, giving us that ultimate sacrifice. Not because he had to, but because he did it for us. Help us to be your hands and feet and love better. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Sorry. I told Dylan. Sorry, Dylan. I said, I'm going to call them up right before I pray, and I didn't do it. So I don't think I finished that story about Dylan as they're coming up here. Dylan was just learning it. And then we found out Scott couldn't be here. It wasn't he came because Scott wasn't going to be here. So that proves my point. You got that little nudge you want to love more by volunteering somewhere? Be thinking about where you want to do that at. I'll get out of the way. You
0: may stay with us.
2: some of you are not going to like this but i want you to look at somebody right now and i want you to say you matter you have value look at somebody you matter you have value that is exactly what jesus did you matter and you have value now our job if you haven't put your faith in Christ, you need to come talk to me or Pastor Tanya or one of the people that you know have. If you have already put your faith in Christ, guess what? You got a homework assignment. You're to make everybody that you come in contact with this week, you matter and you have value. I pray that you all have a wonderful, wonderful week. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you matter and you have value. Amen.